Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. takes a special kind of unfortunate to lose five games in an NFL season where you lead by seven plus points at the half. But by God, the Raiders found a way to do it in 2022. They were the only team ever in the history of the sport to do that. That is not a great stat to have pinned on your franchise. But in a lot of ways, it feels like it sums up their 2022 season. They were... Arguably the most snake-bitten team in the league. Not necessarily in terms of injuries. I mean, we talked about the Broncos yesterday. They were by far the most injured team in the league in terms of, like, cumulative starts lost. But the Raiders, A, also had their fair share of injuries, but B, just could not get out of their own way, even with the guys they had on the field. Uh, blown second-half leads all over the place. Um, there was the Derek Carr uh, situation ship <laughs> that went south. <laughs> um, it was a mess at the end, you know, Waller's gone, Carr's gone, Devontae is still there, but he's, this is not the team that Devontae signed up for. Then we got Jimmy, Jimmy G's coming in and, you know, it fails, the, fails the physical. And so they have to redo the contract at the last second. And we're not even sure if he's going to play. And so now it's, Hey, maybe Aiden O'Connell is going to be starting sooner rather than later, which by the way. Not as bad ideas, I think, uh, people think it is. Like, Aiden O'Connell's actually pretty darn good. I would be okay with that. But there's a lot of uncertainty with the Raiders. They did not have a great 2022. And we've talked about teams in this series already that had holes in 2022, realized what those holes were, had an orderly approach to patch them through free agency, coaching changes, the draft, and as a result, are looking solidly better in 2023. The Raiders aren't that team. They have good pieces that they added, but we just, in terms of how everything's coming together, especially at the most important position, we just don't know yet. Like, I'm not definitively ready to say they're bad. I'm not no. definitively ready to say they're good. They are a mystery wrapped in an enigma, and I don't think we're going to really figure them out until, like, Halloween. No, the approach has been, let's say, somewhat haphazard. <laughs> it's not been an orderly offseason for the Raiders, and we're not here to make proclamations about they're good or they're bad. We're going to tell you all the things that they did and go from there, starting with the things they did in 2022 as a summary. Overall record, 6-11, third in the division, 
four and four at home, which is fine. Road record, two and seven. Couldn't get it done away from Allegiant. Last five games, they slid to the finish one and four. So all of that said, it leads into the effectiveness summary, which is a new thing for us this year. If you've been watching the series, you're familiar with it. If not, we're taking the basis of whether or not a football team is good, basing it on EPA per play, talking about EPA per play for rushing and passing on the offensive side, for stopping the run and stopping the pass on the defensive side, and then talking about how many points they scored and how many points they allowed. So we get six overall numbers and we take their league ranks. So we're comparing them to the rest of their peers and how effective they were or were not at doing those things. Starting off with the rushing offense, the Raiders were 19th. Mm -hmm. That's okay. It's not terrible. I know it doesn't sound great, but it's just lower than mid-pack in terms of being in the exact middle. And rushing offense isn't necessarily the thing that's going to win you championships these days. I mean, they had the league leading rusher and they were still 19th in EPA, which tells you that they were... Uh, it was a volume-based offense. <laughs> it's not even that. It's more so like when you, when you often see um, rushing attacks that are productive in terms of like total yards but not great in terms of EPA, it means it was streaky, right? It means that it was nothing, 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 huge play. And when you watch Josh Jacobs, I mean, God, he was fighting for his life behind that offensive line. Um, And he really made the most of it. But at the same time, production-wise, a lot of the times it was nothing, nothing, nothing. Jacobs breaks like three tackles and takes on the defense by himself and gets like 20 yards. And, you know, that's where you start to see the spikes in EPA. But... Man, they were they were giving him nothing to work with for a big part of the year, largely because of offensive line injuries, and then it, they weren't using Parham at the right spot. It, anyway, we'll we'll get to the offensive line later, but it was it was kind of a mess. Following on the passing offense, the league rank for them was twelfth, which you know, in putting these numbers together was surprising to me. I would have put them lower than that based on watching that offensive attack on tape. 12th is certainly a good enough number to win in the NFL in terms of a league rank. Now, as we slip to the defensive side, rushing defense, EPA per play against 20th. Again, it's okay. It'll get you off the field in most situations, but not all. It's not a death knell. You could live with that ranking. However, when we get to the pass defense, 31st. Folks, you can't live with that. In the modern NFL. Nope. If you are second to last in the NFL at defending the pass, you're going to get boat raced by a lot of people. And the Raiders did. That's why they gave up a lot of those second half leads. As far as points scored, 395 points scored. This was a productive offense. That's 12th in the league. That is enough to be a good team, to be a playoff contender, to win your division, all of those things. So McDaniels was able to orchestrate an offense despite all the issues we've talked about that was almost top 10 in scoring. That's really good. Points allowed, other end of the spectrum, 26. Down near the bottom of the league, they couldn't stop people from scoring. This defense was not cohesive last year, did suffer from some injuries, but couldn't hold on in the second half. That leads to the stat you led off with. So as you look at those, 19th, 12th, 20th, 31st, 12th, 26th. Not really overwhelming and trending towards the bottom half. We take those six numbers, add them together, divide by six. We come up with a number we call the bootleg power score. It's 20. 
lower the score, the better. You want to be number one because, again, these are based on league ranks. Nobody's going to be number one because that would mean you led every category. Nobody did that. But you want to be closer to the top. Lower score is better, just like golf. 20th puts them down towards the bottom third of the league, which is what we saw on tape. So their power score is reflective of how they played in 2022. I looked it up because I was curious, uh, you know, despite being 12th in points scored, I was like, okay, but where did they score from? (laughs) This was a team that kind of uh, lived or died, mostly died, by explosive plays. They were 24th in red zone appearances, and they were 26th in terms of red zone touchdown percentage meaning how often do they score touchdowns when they make the red zone? Like they were 12 spots behind Denver in terms of red zone efficiency. Mm. And they just didn't get to the red zone that much either. But they filled in the gaps by scoring from 30, 40 yards Way out, downtown. Right? So it was, it was very much a streaky offense, which also kind of explains why they couldn't put people away. Because at some point, if those big plays dry up and you have nothing else to fall back on and you can't sustain drives because, again, your rushing game is streaky and inconsistent and your red zone offense is streaky Streaky and inconsistent, inconsistent. (laughs) either it works or it doesn't, right? There's no consistency. There's no backbone to kind of build your team off of. can't grind it out. It, It was just hot and cold. Which it feels like it's been the Raiders for a while, like hot and cold. But like they amped it up <laughs> to 11 last year. Uh, and it was really frustrating. It was it was absolutely frustrating. Um, by the way, I mentioned the misusing Parham. Um, I remember I, I was doing some research on this a while back when I was doing uh, pre-draft work on the Raiders. and Because you and I both loved Dylan Parham when he was coming out, right? Yeah. He was a right guard at Memphis. Um, they played him at left guard, but he was a right guard at Memphis. Uh, he gave up pretty much no pressures at all at Memphis. He gave up uh, two quarterback hits the entire season his last year in college, yeah. right? Goes to the Raiders. They make him play left guard for most of his rookie year. At left guard, in 15 games, he gave up 57 pressures. <laughs> they let him play right guard, his natural spot, for two games. He gave up two pressures. He's one of those guys that has, he's handed, for lack of a better term, right-handed or left-handed. He is right-handed. He plays on the right side. And some guys will tell you it's not a big deal. They're very, they feel ambidextrous. Um, Chandler Zavala said, Mm -hmm. I don't care. I can play left. I can play right. Some Some guys guys are like, (laughs) I don't care what side, or I don't care what position you put me in, but keep me on the same side. So I can keep my footwork the same. I'm, you know, my kick step starts with the same side. My reach starts with the same side. And when they get swapped, it just doesn't translate. That right there feels like Parham is a right side guy, period, end of story. But they kept putting him at left. And it it sounds like they're going to keep doing it this year and and have bars be right and try Dylan Parham at left again. And, And maybe eventually it'll catch on. But I'm like. God, like we we made Carr run for his life and we made Jacobs fight for his life on every carry when, when you, we could have just put him at right guard. Yeah, and you highly, <laughs> it, this is a highly drafted player. Yes. Right. This is someone you've invested in. And if he gives you tremendous returns on one side and you are stubbornly trying to force a square peg into a round hole, for Alex Bars of all people, <sighs> Bears legend, Alex Bars. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right? But Bars has experience on both sides. 
And in the middle, he played center as well. He can play any of the interior spots. It feels like, move that guy. He was a UDFA out of Notre Dame. And you're taking a highly drafted player from Memphis who has excelled on the right side and saying, no, 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 you're going to be left. We're going to make you left. He's like, I gave up 57 pressures. You want me to do it again? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So, I mean, the you already gave the bootleg power score number, right? I did. Yeah. So, at 20, again, uh, emphasizing, that doesn't mean they were ranked 20th no, in power 20th, score. No, it's not 20th. It's just 20, a number. And it's interesting. Their raw score was a, a flat number. Not often do we see a flat number for the raw score, uh, which also might contribute to people being confused about it. But uh, if we're looking at you know, where that falls in terms of raw scores, it would be actually tied for like 26 with the Titans. So again, when we get to the end of the series and we show we'll stack all, all of the raw scores, you'll see where that falls. But there was only two teams that averaged out to 20 and it was the Raiders and the Titans and both had pretty rough 2022s. Um, looking at some schematic stats, you know, the types of coverages they ran, the types of, or the amounts of blitzes that they called, the types of runs they called and also how their passing game is structured this is going to kind of give more context to the epa uh, and with the carryover in the staff this year also might give context for this year too uh, we'll start with defense which was a problem last year <laughs> the coverages that patrick uh, patrick graham excuse me called for the most part uh, were cover one they were seventh in cover one they loved their single high man coverage they were about average in cover two at 14th. They were about average in cover three at 15th. They were 22nd in quarters. Didn't play it a whole lot, which is interesting because he played it a lot more uh, when he was in New York. Kind of got away from it here. Uh, quarter, quarter, half, they were 22nd. They were not one of those teams that that loved quarter, quarter, half, which is good because not, not every team's good at running it. <laughs> um, and then two-man or cover five, if you speak Sabanese, they were about average there. So they were... They were mostly right down the middle of the fairway. Where they ticked up a little bit more was zero. They called quite a bit of zero relative to the rest of the league. They were eighth at about uh, about 3%, which doesn't sound like a lot. But for cover zero, that's quite a bit. What's interesting, though, is on second downs in particular, where they were a more blitz-heavy team in general, they called the fifth most cover zero at over three, about 3.5%. Yeah. That kind of ties into their overall blitz numbers because this was not a team relative to what we've seen from Patrick Graham in the past. This was not a team that blitzed a whole lot. Yeah. Their overall blitz percentage period was dead average, 16th in the league, 30.6%. Their blitz percentage on second downs was 37.2%. They blitzed more on second down than third down, like by a pretty significant margin. Like third and long, they were at 25%, which is 24th in the league. So when they brought pressure, it was mostly to try to get negative plays to force you into third and long so they could sit back and cover, right? It's an interesting approach. Sure. Because not a lot of defenses bring pressure on second down rather than third down there like there's like the lions where they're blitzing like almost every fucking play on third and long <laughs> but then there's there's the raiders that that do that for second down so um i i kind of want to do more film work on this defense to figure out what types of pressures they brought i don't have those in front of me because i, I want to see 
were they bringing linebackers? Were they bringing nickels? Um, you know, was it, hey, we have like an auto check where if we get, uh, you know, our boundary corner coming, if the receiver goes in motion, like some guys have that. Uh, so I, I got to see exactly what pressures they were calling, but I just found it fascinating that as a team that didn't blitz a lot, they saved it almost entirely for second down. Yeah, they shoved that earlier in the series to try and force people's hands. And Graham is an aggressive defensive coordinator. It's interesting that he took that aggression and didn't wait for what's a more typical down to blitz on third and long and said, instead, we're going to try and get you into that third and long so that we can drop more guys in coverage, blitz less by doing it on first and especially second down. Uh, by the way, their stunt percentage was 27th. This was not a team that called a whole lot of stunts. And again, we're talking about third down, which they also weren't a team that blitzed a lot, so that kind of goes hand in hand. Um, yeah, I'm, I really want to see what they do this year with now that they have Tyree Wilson. And if he's healthy, which we love Tyree Wilson if he's healthy, him plus Max plus Chandler. hopefully Chandler's you know, yep. back to being at least 80% of what Chandler was. Uh, plus the interior guys they got. Like maybe they won't have to blitz a whole lot and their front four is just going to tear phases off. But I'm curious to see if they kind of keep that approach going in 2023 of uh, early down pressure over late down pressure. Flipping over to the offense, uh, we'll start with run concept frequency. Uh, they were not a heavy inside zone team, only called about 8%, which you would think for having like a big back like Josh Jacobs that they would have called more inside zone, you know, kind of a more north-south type concept. Nope, they really more leaned into power. Uh, they leaned into counter, and they leaned into duo. Now, there are some offensive line aficionados that are like, duo and, and inside zone are basically the same thing. You're correct. I mean, you're wrong, but you're correct. Uh, <laughs> they hit similarly. The tracks are similar. The running backs are doing similar things. You know, it's six of one, half dozen the other. I get it. I get it. But in terms of just how it's charted, they were mostly a man blocking run scheme with duo power and counter um something i found super fascinating they called more draw than anybody else 11 percent draw that's like unheard of relative to the rest of the league i think number two was like eight percent or something like that but they don't have a mobile quarterback and a lot of the top draw teams are the ones with quarterbacks because they call quarterback draw yeah raiders didn't do that they, it was halfback draw. It was yeah. with Jacobs, right? And so I did some work on that, and I was like, why Why did they call so much draw? Like, what were the situations where they did that? And I found that it was mostly on first and second down against middle field open looks, meaning two high safety sure. looks, right? And it felt like it was calm, uh, almost like a, a, a game plan specific auto check. Of like, if we get middle field open pre-snap on early downs, meaning safety's out of the safety's out of the box, or even if they're even if it's quarters, which means the safeties are in the fit, they're still going to be pretty far away, right? right. So we, we can hit them. Um, but forty one of their forty five draw calls were on first or second down, and thirty six of those were against two high safety looks. And so I kind of feel like a lot of those draws came from Carr getting the line of scrimmage seeing where the safeties were, checking into it and saying, Josh, go get me seven yards. And it worked a lot. Like yeah. they were very effective with it. But they were the only team in the NFL doing that. And because they were effective at it, 
I want to see if anybody else in the NFL does that this year with the proliferation of all these two high looks around the league. If draw all of a sudden becomes a viable early down run call, it could change how a lot of offenses around the league function. It's a way to punish a defense out of what they want to do. And with the proliferation that we talked about a lot last year in this series to, hey, single high safety looks on, well, single high safety looks are going away in terms of percentage. They're still used a lot in early downs when people are expecting you to run, but with pass frequency going up on early downs, um, with folks not wanting Casey's offense from three years ago to tear them to pieces, like two high safeties and those safeties in that fit have to what we call run the alley, mm-hmm. right? They have to come from depth, pin their ears back and fill close to the line and run fit, but they're 12 yards away at best, usually 15. Um, so you need safeties who can come downhill and fill the run if you're going to play those looks. And if you see that and say, hey, they can't get there before we get five or six, and five or six on first down, they'll take a, it. A fairly easy call. I mean, draw is a very basic play. Your kids' elementary team probably runs draw. Why not? Right. And if you can do that and get the defense to adjust, hey, on first and second down, they're crushing us with draw. We're giving up five and six yards. It's giving us second and short. Yeah. It was just about one of the only things that that was consistently good for the Raiders' offense last year were, were those draw calls. Uh, flipping over to the passing side, uh, this is where things got sketchy uh, and also kind of backing up some of what we talked about earlier. They were a little below average play action team, uh, about 18th in the league, 25.9%. Average time to throw, sixth slowest. Um, I Again, I want to do more film work on that because they were not... Um, super leaning into play action and also because Carr isn't like the most mobile guy like I understand when I was just kind of doing cursory film work during the season there was a lot of times where I was like Derek throw it throw it please fucking throw it oh my god dear okay you got hit like yeah. there were a lot of those but I kind of wonder if there were so many of those that it it dropped his uh his average time to throw down in a bad way like there's a lot of teams that are quote unquote, slow in average time to throw where we can kind of explain it away of like, oh, Justin Fields, he runs around a lot or, sure. uh, oh, it's a heavy play action team. They're naturally longer developing plays. But with the Raiders, it's like not a super mobile quarterback uh, and also not a heavy play action team. That that kind of leaves the one option of Derek Carr not throwing the ball super Let quick. Let it go, <laughs> yeah. man. So, again, I, I kind of want to back that up with film study um, as we get closer to the season. Uh, not that it like affects the Raiders at all. It's more so when we get to the Saints episode. <laughs> I want to I want to have that done by the time we get to the Saints episode. Uh, air yards percentage. We talked about them kind of being an all or nothing offense. You know where they scored from. Fifty five point three percent of their passing yardage came through the air rather than after the catch. That was twelfth highest in the NFL. Average depth of target nine point nine. Tied for fourth highest in the NFL. Checks out. Uh, big time throw percentage, roughly average at 3.7%. Yards per attempt, 7.9, eighth in the NFL. So, again, yeah. this was a bomb it and pray offense. And when it worked, boy, it was pretty. Yeah. When it didn't work, they blew a historic amount of second half leads. It feels like an older 
Raiders team, like a much older, almost AFL Raiders team, right? Oh, Let Al it. Davis would have loved it. Yeah, Daryl Monica, <laughs> right? Let this thing go, get chunks. And if you have the receiving core and the quarterback and the protection to make that work, it's an exciting brand of football. If it doesn't connect, you're basically a three-point shooting basketball team that can't hit threes. Yes. And you end up losing some games you probably should win because you don't have the pivot to say, okay, look, the long game's not working for us today. We need to go to the things that are more efficient, grind some yards out, make some points, maybe kick some field goals, you know, sort of keep the momentum. And momentum wasn't really a thing for them. It was, like you've said, streaky, hot and cold, hit or miss. When they were on, it was great. When they weren't, they didn't really have a counterpunch. Turning our attention to the power structure at B, you know, we talked a little bit about Patrick Graham. We've mentioned Josh McDaniels a few times. I am willing to give this another year. <laughs> uh, you know, early returns were a little bit disappointing. I'm willing to see what they got for 2023. Um, but is it safe to say that even as a second year group, that they're somewhat on thin ice already? It's not a very cold seat, but it is not a hot seat yet. There, It is impossible to judge draft classes before really two, I would say, probably three years. And Dave Ziegler, the GM, in year two, we like the look of this year's draft class. Free agency is a little bit different. I feel like a lot of times when we say we like a GM, we like what they're doing in free agency and we see how it meshes very well with the draft. Whether or not we agreed with the draft, we at least see that, oh, they patched this hole here and then they push that next need off to the draft. With the current power structure with the Raiders, it feels like the draft has been decent for the last two years and free agency has been a bit up and down. It felt like the, the Jimmy G thing was panicky and i don't know if that's ziegler's fault i don't know if it's mcdaniel's fault i don't know if it's mark davis's fault i really don't know where the car thing came from and i'm sure there's raiders fans that will be in the comments that will give us more context that, than we could get because these are the nitty-gritty things uh, you know the interpersonal politics of individual franchises that sometimes ej and i don't have really the time to dig into so if you're a raiders fan and you can give us context on who pulled the trigger on that, please do. But it felt messy, and it felt like rushed almost, and it kind of felt like they benched Carr when they did because they just didn't want him to get hurt because they wanted to trade him, and then he said, fuck you guys, cut me, and they didn't really have any recourse, right? And then, you know, obviously there's the Tom Brady elephant in the room. <laughs> like, clearly they thought they were going to get Tom which we had heard that they thought yep. they were going to get Tom. And then Tom was like, no, I'm retiring. And they're like, fuck, okay. Now uh, what? Derek come back. And he's like, no, no, cut me. And so then it's like, okay, Jimmy, like, you're come save us. You're familiar <laughs> with the system. You worked with our head coach who was then the offensive coordinator in New England before you went to San Francisco. Like, can you sub? <laughs> it just felt like none of this was plan A or plan B or no. plan C. And they lucked into Aiden McConnell or not Aiden McConnell, Aiden O'Connell, yeah. uh, who we did interview with the Shrine Bull. He's a great dude, smart player. I think, honestly, he's going to be good for them. 
and they got lucky that he was there when he was, he's probably going to start games for them this year. But like, if they didn't get Aiden, you're staring down the barrel, maybe starting Brian Hoyer. But even if you did get Aiden, who we interviewed and really enjoyed, great dude, love his attitude, think he'll be a decent player. But if you are staring at the rest of your division and winning division games is the way you get yourself into the playoffs. If you are staring at division games and Aiden O'Connell is your plan in the AFC West as a rookie, all rookie quarterbacks struggle. Aiden wasn't super highly drafted for several reasons. It's a good player. If you're saying he's our answer to the guy over there that plays in red, (laughs) that's not a good plan. No, no. So when you talk about process, we talk about the GM, we talk about the roster structure, it's impossible to ignore the quarterback spot. You have to have it solidified. You have to have a plan. It doesn't always work out. We saw it happen to the Colts when Andrew Luck retired. Like These things happen. It didn't go their way. Plan B didn't go their way. Plan C still didn't go their way. Now they're looking at plan D or E to start the season. That's rough. So when we say free agency didn't feel really meshed with the rest of the strategy, you can look at the draft class, which we think is good and go, well, great. But what are you going to do about the game's most important position? Yeah. And that just sort of casts a shadow over the rest of this. We've talked about Josh McDaniels, coordinators, Mick Lombardi, offensive coordinator, Patrick Graham, we've mentioned, defensive coordinator. Coordinator, We like his work. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he shifts with some of the new personnel. Tom McMahon's the special teams coordinator. Other notable coaches on offense. Edgar Bennett is the wide receivers coach. He's on that staff? Uh-huh. Hold on. So, really? Yes. Oh. The, uh... Yes. <laughs> Bears receiver? <laughs> running back. Bears and Packers running back, one of the few players that's played on both sides of that rivalry. Yes, that Edgar Bennett. Huh. How about that? Yeah. So, between... Uh, he's been with the Raiders for five years. He played eight seasons for the Packers and Bears combined. Again, jumping to... Either side of the volatile rivalry that it was when he played for him, but he is in charge of their wide receiver core. So this is Devontae's coach. Scott Turner is their pass game coordinator. He's got 11 years of NFL experience, and he is the son of former NFL head coach and longtime offensive coordinator, Norv Turner. So that's who's running their passing offense. On defense, very familiar name. Rob Ryan is now a senior defensive assistant. 33 years of NFL experience. Josh McDaniels brings him on to be the sort of catch-all overseer on defense, help Patrick Graham wherever he needs it. Please help us blitz better. (laughs) That's basically what he's doing. Pretty much. Antonio Pierce is the linebackers coach. 10 years of coaching experience already. First season with the Raiders uh, was with Arizona State for the past five years. Um Played as an NFL player. Many people will recognize him as a longtime linebacker for the Giants and others. Uh, and then Jason Simon is the DB and pass game coordinator, defensive pass game coordinator. First year with Las Vegas after being with Carolina last year. Uh, 10-year NFL career as a player. So a bunch of former players, a bunch of long-tenured coaches, uh, folks that come from coaching long lines of you know coaching family trees. Um a pretty interesting mix on McDaniel's staff. Now, it didn't necessarily all mix well last year, just because you have a lot of experience and folks from, you know, again, 
coaching lineage and player side. It all sounds good on paper. We'll have to see how that translates uh, in really what is the second year of trying to mesh this all together. All right. One of my earliest football memories was when uh, when Edgar Bennett was on those 90s Packers teams yep. with Favre, like 90, mm-hmm. 96, I think, was when they went to the Super Bowl, right? Something like that. Something like that. you asking me God, when the old. Packers went to the Super Bowl? I know. I, I don't know. care. Sacrilege. I don't care. <laughs> and Jason Simmons is the defensive back and defensive pass game coordinator. It's his first year with Las Vegas after being with Carolina last year. Ten-year uh, career as an NFL player. So lots of mix of experience, folks that come from long coaching trees and coaching family lineage, former players. It sounds like a very experienced mix, is a very experienced mix, but didn't all necessarily mesh super well last year in Las Vegas. So it'll be interesting to see with another year under the belt if they all sort of start pulling in the same direction on the same page or if there's still a little bit of that um, disjointed feel to it. Given that unfortunate disjointedness and the carryover from the staff from last year to this year, so we expect a lot of things to be similar. Uh, Well, hopefully not everything to be similar, but (laughs) we expect a lot of things to be similar uh, with some turnover in talent, but still largely the same general structure in place. I think there's a lot of people that are wondering, okay, who will be featured this year? What are we going to see on the field? Particularly on offense. And I think there's two scenarios here, whether it's Jimmy G's team or whether it's Aiden O'Connell's team. I'm not taking Brian Hoyer seriously. He's not starting games, right? If Brian Hoyer is starting over Aiden O'Connell, there's a fucking problem. Like we know what Brian Hoyer is. There's Yeah. If if Hoyer's starting, it's because they want Caleb Williams. Right. Like that's that's the plan. Um but I think there's two scenarios, right? It's the Jimmy G Jimmy G scenario and the Aiden O'Connell scenario. In the event of Jimmy G somehow getting break healthy, glass. <laughs> break a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. In the in if he's week one and he survives the year, the offense that I expect mm. is going to be very very run heavy. And when we did the 49ers episode, we kind of illustrated like the years that Jimmy was healthy <laughs> it was very run heavy, very play action heavy, and when Jimmy was out, it was less so with the 49ers. Expect the same kind of thing. He thrives on hand the ball off a shitload, rely on play action to suck linebackers up to open up the middle of the field. So that's where we're going to get a lot of Jacoby Myers. We're going to get a lot of Hunter Renfro over the middle. Less so Devontae Adams. Devontae will still be the number one, but Jimmy doesn't throw deep outside the numbers. So Devontae, if he's going to get fed, they would have to put him in the slot. Like I... I don't anticipate him getting as much work as we're used to if Jimmy's the quarterback. If Aiden O'Connell's the quarterback, now it's the Devontae Adams show. Aiden will air it out down the field. There were some wow throws that he had at Purdue. He has no qualms about throwing deep outside the numbers. I think if you're trying to figure out which Raiders weapons to draft, or rather which ones to draft at a value, Pay close attention to the quarterback situation. In particular, pay close attention to Jimmy G's foot. Yes. If Jimmy's on the field, fade Devontae. He's going as wide receiver nine right now. I just, I don't, I don't see him living up to that with Garoppolo as his quarterback. 
if Jimmy's not on the field, I'm pulling the trigger on Devontae at wide receiver nine. Because to be, to be honest, he's going to go after wide receiver nine because people are going to be scared of Aiden O'Connell. Yeah. But Aiden's the type of quarterback that makes Devontae more productive. Yeah. So just pay attention to that. Um, and then Jacobs, I think, you know, he's going RB10 right now. I think you're fine with that either way. Uh, again, I I think a lot of it hinges on uh, is Parham going to improve at left guard because the team refused to move him to right or not. But still, he was very productive. He's still explosive. He's a great running back. Like, I'm fine with that. But for everything else, it just comes down to which quarterback it is because stylistically that will change the offense at a uh, at a level that I don't think people realize yet. I think Hunter Renfro is a bit of a snake in the grass here at wide receiver 80. People just are totally ignoring him. And I actually think he'll play pretty well with either quarterback because lots of those routes that Jimmy does throw, yeah. those are Renfro routes. Yeah. And I think Renfro is going to remind Aiden O'Connell, if he's the player, a little bit of Charlie Jones in the short to medium area. Yeah. I mean, Charlie had more gas. That's but, right. You know, down the field, he's going to be looking at Devontae. But in those short to medium areas, Charlie Jones, his, uh, you know, childhood friend and teammate from high school that he ended up playing his last year at Purdue with as well, ran a lot of that short to intermediate stuff. And that's where Renfro absolutely eats out of the slot. So, I think Aiden's going to, you know, look at Renfro and go, oh, it's two thirds of Charlie's game. I'm used to that already. If I'm going deeper, yeah, I'm going to, you know, bomb it out to Devontae because as he said to us, I wasn't supposed to be here in the first place. I was a walk on. I got nothing to lose. And he's carried that mentality forward. I don't see that it'll, you know, end that anytime soon with the Raiders. If he makes it on the field for the Raiders, he's not going to play scared and he'll let it go. But Renfro's one of those guys, wide receiver 80. And he works with either quarterback. So he's a bit of insulation against that quarterback uncertainty, of which there is plenty. And it is probably the first time on bootleg football that we've told you to take a look at people's feet. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, by the way, Austin Hooper, and this is another one that kind of fascinates me. Austin Hooper ADP is undrafted, essentially. It's tight end 51. Yeah. Michael Mayer, who we love. We yeah. love Michael Mayer, but he's a rookie tight end in a very complicated offense. Yep. Uh, historically, those don't produce a lot. Nope. He would be the exception, not the rule, if that happened. Uh, but Michael Mayer is going as like TE24, something like that. And Hooper's the starter. So Yes, in a system uh, that prefers veterans. Oh, absolutely, because every single concept in this offense has permutations on permutations on permutations. Uh, and also there's a lot of like one word concepts, like their no huddle stuff is fascinating because literally it's uh, entire play concepts that are one word calls mm -hmm. and they're running down the field, just shouting single words. And then depending on the personnel group that's on the field, like you got to know what your role what that is. Means, and yeah. It's it's a very multifaceted offense, and they have answers for everything, but those answers take a while to learn. And for a rookie that is 
exploring Las Vegas for the first time and they're like 22 years old and they have no idea what they're doing and they're just starting their professional career and they're young and they're inexperienced. It's not a friendly offense for them. Like even Gronk, Gronk, when he came up in this offense, took until year two to be Gronk. Yeah. And he's sure. maybe the best tight end ever. So yeah, I don't know. I'm rather I'd rather get Austin Hooper in the very last round than Michael Mayer, even though I think Michael Mayer will be a better player over the long term. Yeah. For this year, I don't care about that. Yeah, I, dynasty's one thing, right? Yeah. If it's a dynasty play, sure, go for Michael Mayer. If it's uh what are they gonna produce for me in twenty twenty three? Um, I don't know that either one is a great bet, again, with the quarterback uncertainty, but Hooper is certainly the greater value. Uh, by the way, if you also want to uh, go at best ball with us this year, uh, whether it's Best Ball Mania 4 or any of the other little best ball contests that Underdog runs, I mean, Best Ball Mania has like 15 million in prizes, but there's also all the other side contests that are millions more in prizes. Uh, there's, there's a lot <laughs> over on Underdog, not to mention the season long where you kind of like pick higher or lower on uh, not just rookies, but any player you can think of, they're going to have yardage totals, touchdown totals that you can go higher or lower on. Um, you know, there's pickums during the season. There's so much. And that's just for football. There's also basketball, there's baseball, there's esports, there's golf, like whatever. Right. Golf. So uh, you can use promo code bootleg. They'll match your deposit up to $100, and you can use that on anything on the site. They just give you an extra $100 for free to use, or really whatever you deposit up to that $100. They'll, they'll double it for you. So uh, Underdog makes this whole show possible. Yes. They are funding us for the next two years. They are uh, an incredible partner that I still cannot believe we landed. Yes. And uh, it would mean a lot to us if you guys support our sponsors so that they keep supporting us if you happen to like the show. Again, promo code bootleg. With that, EJ, let's get to free agency. Um, again, there was a changing of the guard, so to speak. Uh, a lot of veterans that are no longer there, some more important than others. There were a lot of moves that I disagreed with here, but at the same time, they felt somewhat inevitable. So a lot of guys that moved on, period. This is one of the larger lists in terms of amount of players from one team that are not back with that team uh, for the following year. And you start scrolling through it and you're like, oh yeah, 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 no problem. And you start to think about two thirds of the way down. Oh, they didn't really let go. Like a lot of guys of value or a lot of guys that played a lot of snaps. And then you get to the bottom two thirds of the list and you're like, okay, uh, Deron Harmon, the safety, 95.7% of the snaps. Clellan Farrell, and you can say what you want about Clellan Farrell. He was drafted by the previous regime. He's never played up to expectations, but he still, in their rotation, played 43, almost 44% of their snaps, which for an edge player is pretty darn good. Andrew Billings, the run stopper from the middle that moved on to the Bears, he played 42% of their snaps. Again, as a nose tackle, that's a pretty high percentage. Sidney Jones, the corner, he only played 9.7% of the snaps. That was injuries, but he moves on with a pretty decent contract to the Bengals. And then we get into the solid bottom third of the list where I was basically highlighting every player. Mac Hollins, 93.5% of the snaps. Yeah. Was incredibly productive for them. Moves I on to the Falcons. Mac Hollins, man. As an original OG Mac Hollins stand from his time at UNC, I'm with you. Darren Waller, the aforementioned Darren Waller, your jersey goes on to the Giants, 
Rocky Sin, who played almost 60% of the snaps, ends up with the Ravens, which I actually think is a really good fit for him. Foster Moreau goes on to the Saints. Derek Carr, also to the Saints, we've talked about. And then Denzel Perryman, linebacker for the Raiders, ends up with the Texans, and he played 50% of their snaps as a what I would call a true middle linebacker. So when he gets to the bottom, there's a lot of impact, a lot of snaps they lost, a lot of experience, a lot of folks that have been with the Raiders a long time. So the, the list kind of starts off with a lot of like also rands, and then you get to the bottom and you go, ooh, that's a pretty big core out of the middle of that team. And this is very much, uh, I think, the current brass trying to remake the roster in their image, which is their right to do. It's their team, right? It's also it, a very natural progression in the NFL. If it's their job on the line, they're going to make the roster uh, however they see fit. But at the same time, it's it's a lot of guys to replace, a lot of snaps to replace. A lot of snaps. Not all of them were great players, but you still got to fill snaps somehow, right? Yeah. And, and I think that um, it's tougher than people think as a GM to uh, to replace that many guys who are – uh, down eaters like that. Yeah. Uh, in terms of who they did re-sign, again, Alex Bars, uh, <laughs> Bears legend. There's brought a couple him of back. Bears legends on here. <laughs> Actually, three Bears legends they re-signed. Who's the... Oh. Uh, See if you can find him. Hold on. Jesper Horstead? Yes. And... Right below Bars. Oh, Ronis Grasso. Yeah, Ronis He's still Grasso kicking around. Look still go. kicking around. Wow. So, again, not guys that made huge differences for the Bears, although I think Horstead could have given the chance. Um, they were all backups for the Bears, but they all ended up in that sort of, it was the pipeline before the Falcons, right? Before all the former Bears went to the Falcons last year, they went to the Raiders. Uh -huh. Also brought back Keelan Cole to be like wide receiver five or whatever for them. Uh, Amir Abdullah. Uh, great pass protector, special teamer. Uh, man, if you play special teams, you can pass protect. You're going to have a long career in the NFL. So shout out to Amir Abdullah playing for, I think, close to 10 years now yep. with probably like less than 4,000 career yards. Like, Yeah, it feels like it. it that's awesome. That's yep. great for him. Love that. Uh, Jermaine Illuminor also brought back to be their starting right tackle this year, presumably. Uh, I think it's either him or Brandon Parker, if I recall correctly. Uh, Jerry Tillery. I don't, is he IDL or edge for them? I know he's always kind of floated in between. Yeah. It's funny you ask because he feels very much like a four eye to me, but like not a good one. No, I, again, not a player. There's a lot of players on here that feel like down eaters. We talked about how many down eaters they just lost, but there's a lot on the resign list that feel like, yeah, they're not starters for us outside of Illuminor for the most part. Um, but they're going to be guys that play on special teams. They're going to be guys that play down in the wide receiver rotation. Um, you know, they're going to be backups, rotational guys. Jakob Johnson. Yeah. They love their fullback. Ah, uh, uh, yes. You know, and, and Jakob, he knows the offense really well because it's McDaniels and he spent time in New England. So, uh, yeah, they're actually one of the few teams that uses <laughs> fullbacks more than like 10% of the time. Yeah. Uh, we love it when fullbacks get jobs. That's great. In terms of third-party additions, we touched on uh, the Jimmy Garoppolo situationship. Uh, Jaquan <laughs> Johnson, they brought over. DeAndre Carter, they brought in from the Chargers as well. Uh, Brandon Faison, they brought in from the Colts. Marcus Epps, who's a safety I really like. They got him from the Eagles. Uh, huge hitter. Just absolutely blows people up. Jacoby Myers, because uh, Josh McDaniels, if he's going to go down with the ship, it's going to be with his guys. 
and Jacoby's one of them. Uh, let's see, Austin Hooper, we mentioned him. He's going to be the starting tight end for them, likely. Uh, Philip Dorsett, also a veteran receiver that knows the offense. O.J. Howard, still kicking her out. I still believe, E.J. I, I, I would love to. I really thought his shot was with the Bills. When that didn't happen, I think the shine went off. <laughs> I third know. Or, third it, or fourth team, and I was like, this is the one. And I'm, I'm not ready to say this is the one anymore, but they added another Bears legend, Duke Shelley. That's right. Duke Shelley's there. Yeah. Uh, see, Oh, Robert Spillane. I forgot they grabbed him, too, uh, yep. to add linebacker depth. I don't know if he's going to start for them, but I, as he's like not a third linebacker. To right now. Uh, no, he actually is. He's penciled in as their starting. Him and side. Diablo, right? Him and he's their weak side, and Diablo they have playing the middle. Divine Diablo, that is a move I love. He's wearing the dot. Have you seen how big he is? Yes, now? He he's has, like two forty. He's rocked up. <laughs> he's huge. And this is a trend. I mean, if you look around the league, we see a lot of these players who were former safeties, college safeties, who moved to linebacker either their last year in college or when they got converted, moved to the pros. Jermaine Pratt was one. Um, this is a transition that a lot of defensive coordinators, Patrick Graham not excluded, really like. Guys that can run, guys that have played the pass pretty extensively at the third level, moving to the second level, bulking up. You know, in this case, I I love this because I was really excited when they drafted Devon Diablo, liked him as a player, thought of him more as a you know a dimebacker, which is a heavy third safety. They've They've gone all the way. They've just yeah. shoved him no, in. He's and said, just you a are the now. middle linebacker wearing the dot, calling the defense. I'm I'm here for it. I liked him as a player. I can't wait to see if he follows the path of players like Jermaine Pratt, who've seen a ton of success in this league. He's like 20, 25 pounds heavier than Shaq Leonard. Like, yeah. He's fucking huge and now. And he's tall. He's, he's so tall. tall. So, yeah, no, yeah. he's awesome. I love him. He's great. Uh, all right. That brings us to the drafts. Um, no, like headliners in free agency, just kind of filling in here and there. Like Jimmy was the most expensive piece, but even then, Jimmy's contract is written in a way where it's kind of like I don't know. Maybe well, it is now. Uh, yeah, it is now. Uh, on take two, but with the draft, here's really where they did add significant headlining talent that you and I both loved, and I think that they were lucky with a capital L. So you got Tyree Wilson, seventh overall. Yeah, this is in stark contrast to everything we said that was kind of up and down and mixed about free agency. We feel really strongly about this draft class. It's a very good draft class, and it's in a lot of contrast to the previous regime, whose draft classes we were like, I don't know about that. When we start this with round one, pick seven, they get Tyree Wilson, the edge you mentioned out of Texas Tech, who is massive and has, I don't want to say unlimited, but very high physical potential in mm -hmm. terms of his ceiling. He can do things that a lot of other players can't do because he's so damn big. He is tall. He has long arms. He can bend. I am super duper duper high on Tyree Wilson. Had a foot injury. It's probably why he was there at seven. Um, you don't like to see guys that big with foot injuries, but I hope it heals up because if he is a healthy player for them, he will be an impact rusher. I just don't see any way that doesn't work out other than can't get healthy. But he was pretty healthy in college. Some teams had no flag on him medically. Some teams had a kind of eh, caution. And some teams probably had him red flagged. What didn't seem terribly serious. I don't know anybody that had them off the board. But No, no. I think, I think it was more 
it's not doctors say don't draft him or doctors say like do you have anybody who's the same grade yeah like i think that was honestly the conversation that was happening in the seahawks yes we know the seahawks loved him um but you know if witherspoon was the same grade and was clean medically like yeah they're gonna take witherspoon round two pick 35 they go and get tight end michael Mayer from notre dame great very experienced starter who Again, if you're picking a dynasty tight end, he's going to be a very good player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is a great two-way tight end, which is rare. He has more receiving chops than people give him credit for because people say, oh, he's big and he's in line and he can block. He's a very effective receiver as well if you look at his numbers. So I think a good pick. But rookie tight ends don't come right out of the gate. They just don't. It doesn't matter who you are. So it's going to take a year to have some patience. This is a good player and it's a terrific pick. Round three, pick 70, they get Byron Young, the Alabama Byron Young, not the Tennessee Byron Young, who is really more of a five, can move into a three. Big defensive lineman who I liked and I think will be a very solid part of their rotation. Uh, Also in round three, down to pick 100, they get Trey Tucker from Cincinnati, Mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting that Trey Tucker went before his running mate at Cincinnati who ended up going to the Bears. He's fast. They're both fast. It was two burners, but I really thought um, his teammate might go before him. Turns out Trey Tucker gets drafted first. And come on, Raiders pick a fast wide receiver. I know. (laughs) What year is it? News at 11. (laughs) Come on. We've seen this one before. Round four, one of my favorite picks of the draft for them. Pick 104, only four picks after Trey Tucker. Ja'Korian Bennett from Maryland, who is a feisty and rocked up little nickel who gives up very, very little um, will support the run, is almost hyper-aggressive, and he's going to have to tone that down a little bit because when you miss at nickel, you leave yourself a gap. Um, but I like him as a player a lot. I think he fits with Patrick Graham's mentality um, of aggression going forward. I like Ja'Korian Bennett quite a bit. Round four, pick 135. We've talked a lot about Aiden O'Connell. We love him, quarterback from Purdue. Um, I think he can develop into something. I don't want him being my starter right off. I just don't. I... I see so much Kirk Cousins in him, and I and I mean that in a good way. I, no, I agree. I mean, in a great. I mean, Kirk's been a starter for a mm-hmm. long time, like one of the better fourth round quarterbacks ever, yeah. like in the history of the league. To be a decade long starter, uh, like that's that's an amazing career for Kirk Cousins. I don't think anybody can ever argue is anything other than a good pick. Mm-hmm. Say what you want about him, I think Aiden O'Connell's very similar. Like I, in a lot of ways, and I don't think he gets uh, the credit that he deserves. And like I, I was talking to Eric, uh, you know, who recruited him to the Shrine Bowl and mm-hmm. gave us the opportunity to sit down and watch film with Aiden and, and yeah. kind of pick his brain. And like, I was like, you know, are are you hearing the same things uh, out of there that I am of like how much they love him? And he's like, oh my god, you have no idea, like. They are obsessed with Aiden O'Connell. And if Jimmy can't go, yeah. they think they're fine. And that's pretty high praise for a rookie, let alone a fourth-round rookie. Yeah, this is going to sound strange because I just said I don't want him as the starter. If he ends up being the starter, I think, from my perspective, it's actually going to be more entertaining. From the Raiders' perspective, I don't know that they're necessarily better off. And they're certainly not better off this year because rookie quarterbacks, no matter how highly they're drafted, struggle. So if Aiden O'Connell is your starter, it might be good long term. 
if he follows Kirk Cousins' career path, I think it could be. There are a lot of similarities to the the way they came up, the way they play the game. It's not going to be good news for the Raiders this year. It's going to be good news for us because we're going to get to watch him develop. And I think he will. If you're a Raiders fan for 2023, it's not the best news. I, I just I, I find their whole rookie draft class fascinating because it's it's a mix of guys that are going to contribute right away yep and also guys that i think are like down the line picks like michael mayer's a down the line pick yeah. tyree if he's healthy is a right now pick yes uh like him and max chandler together oh my god uh you know aiden might be both yeah we'll, we'll see uh and christopher smith from georgia the safety out of georgia why the fuck was he there in the fifth round? Like, I was stunned by that. He feels like a right now pick to me because oh, absolutely. he has a role they can slot him into right now. And it's honestly the one they sort of drafted Divine Diablo for. Yeah. Right? Which is this big, heavy dimebacker hitter going forward. In that role, Christopher Smith, if you just basically set him back as the, as the mid-safety and tell him go hunt, that was what he was doing in college. He's going to be great at that role. Round six, pick 203, they get Amari Bernie out of Florida linebacker. Uh, it's round six. His chance is going to be on special teams as a deep backup sort of third rounder if he makes the squad. I don't really care. It's the sixth round. That's fine. And round seven, pick 231. I like this pick. Oh, Nes- I love it. Nessa Jade Silvera, Arizona State, uh, by way of Miami, big, powerful, inside defensive lineman who I thought had better tape, well, way better tape in the seventh round. Again, don't know if there was injury off field. Don't know anything about that, but just throw on the tape, especially from Miami, there were enough flashes that he was better than a seventh round player. Again, it's some positional uh, value or degradation. Look, he plays nose or one, you know. I thought this was a sneaky kind of went off for grad year at Arizona State. Maybe people kind of forgot about him as he, you know, left a bit of the spotlight. He's a I, ball of butcher knives, man. I like him. He's a lot. good. Yeah. He's really good. He's stout. Um very stout. He's nimble, like more nimble than he should be for his frame. Like he's round, but not yes, he is. Not like out of shape. He's no. just he's round. a big guy <laughs> that can really big. move. He is explosive with his hands. He can uh, both hold the point of attack if he needs to or move a single blocker out of the way. I I really thought he was better than a seventh-round player, yeah. so that felt like a great steal to me. Overall, top to bottom, that's a ton of value. It's a great draft class by the Raiders. I think that they're getting four starters and six contributors total. Like At best case, I mean, ideally Tyree starts, Michael Mayer starts in two tight end sets to start because Hooper will be the starter right off. Byron Young's rotational guy, but eventually he's, he's will go, be. He's gonna play a lot. Yeah. Trey Tucker probably doesn't start with Jacoby and Devontae. I, I don't. I don't think Trey would ever start, but he'd no. be like the number four they bring in to for just, four verts. <laughs> it's like, hey, you get two catches today, but they're right. both gonna be huge. Yep. Like that's go run a safety that's off. Thing. That's your job. Uh, Jacorian could eventually start again. I don't think he starts in year one. Nickel is, you know, he has a potential to do that, but. Nickel is a, you know, historically difficult role, especially for rookies. We talked about Aiden. He could start. You know, if Jimmy's foot doesn't pencil, he's going to start. Chris Smith is your third safety. If you're coming out in a three-safety nickel, yeah. like, yeah. Or, it's, you know, dime, heavy dime, Chris Smith, a shoe-in. It's and a lot of guys. Getting, yeah, if you're getting down to the fifth round and you're saying that guy has a 
starting role as a package player, that's still great. Yeah, no, it's it's a phenomenal class, which is what gave me like a little bit more hope <laughs> about what this front office is doing because yeah. clearly March was panicky, but April they were cool as a cucumber and they nailed it. So we'll see. I'm willing to give another year and just see where it goes. Uh, in terms of their UDFA haul, uh, McClendon Curtis, Chatt- uh, UT Chattanooga. Yeah. Love that pickup for them. Uh, just keep stacking interior guys till you find a combo that works. I'm all for it. Uh, Drake Thomas from NC State. That was one of the pickups of all pickups for any UDFA haul. He's an amazing player. And there was a lot of linebackers that are not as good as Drake, as Drake Thomas that got drafted. I don't know why he didn't even get like a seventh round pick thrown at him. Like I get it, the size, but when you look at the instincts, the closing speed, the tackling ability, like what what am I missing here? How is that not a draftable linebacker? He is absolutely every bit a draftable linebacker. Drake Thomas, if you watched our pre-draft coverage, is my boy. I love Drake Thomas. He is amazing. He's a little short and he's a little slow. And if you let that define him as a player, as opposed to all the production he had in the ACC, this is all, he was ACC defensive player of the year. I wouldn't even say slow. It's more so his speed is in a shorter area. And he's not somebody who's like, okay, go run 30 yards sideline to sideline to track down uh, friggin' Debo or whatever. He's very quick. He's got good burst. His long speed is not great, which means that 40 time doesn't look tremendous. He's a little bit short, but he is incredibly stout, really well built. We got to see him up close to the Shrine Bowl, four days of practice. So yoked. (laughs) Yeah, super yoked, really instinctive, a tremendous blitzer, probably the second best blitzer in this class by number in production behind Ivan Pace Jr., and who if you also went undrafted. Somehow. Yeah. And if yeah. you'd look at him, you wouldn't say that, but he absolutely is. He has a great sense of timing, especially on delayed blitzes. Really impactful player. Him alone would have made this UDFA class. McClendon Curtis is just a big, powerful ball of clay um, out of Chattanooga, who I think has a future as an NFL guard, like as a starting NFL guard. It's going to take a minute. They'll uh, both make the roster to me. I, to me, I believe it. That is exactly what UDFA is for. Can't believe Drake Thomas didn't get drafted. I can't wait to see what he does with the Raiders. Patrick Graham is going to love him. He's going to say the same thing. He gets that guy in the huddle. He sees how smart he is, how quick he is at diagnosing things, how tenacious, just a bulldog as a player. Love, love, love Drake Thomas. Before we move on, gun to your head. Gun to my head. Let's not do that, but okay. As prospects, Jack Sanborn, Drake Thomas. Drake Thomas. Wow, is that quick for you? Yeah. And I like it's, Jack it's, Sanborn. Ooh, it's tough But for you me. were higher on Sanborn than I, I was. I love Sanborn. I liked him. You loved him. Drake Thomas, I'm flipped. I love Drake Thomas. I liked him better overall as a player than his running mate who got way more attention, Isaiah Moore. Where did Ward Moore end up going up? I can't remember. Yeah, he's UDFA too. They both went undrafted? Mm-hmm. Am, okay. Why? Isaiah Moore to me was... <laughs> no pun intended, more limited, right? He was a smacker. He's an absolute, what I'll call cone player from the linebacker position, which is a lot like, strangely enough, a guy that just left the Raiders, Denzel Perryman, right? Denzel Perryman coming out in college was a 
cone player. He was yeah. a smack run in the box, you know, what we would call two down thumper. And Isaiah Moore was that. He was the hitter from this class. Oh, I thought Drake man. Thomas had more range, more production, more versatility. He doesn't have more size, doesn't have more speed. But as a football player, I thought he was better. You know where he went? I did because I put him on the list, but I don't remember. Kansas City. Yeah. He's he's the next Nick Bolton. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought when I put him on the list. I was like, oh, he's the next. That Nick means Bolton. we'll be we'll be talking about him in a couple days. Yep. I didn't know he went to KC. Oh, that's so good for them. Yeah. As I read through the UDFA list, I was like, oh, well, he's that that's Nick Bolton too. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. The AFC West uh, UDFA halls have not disappointed so far. Nope. That brings us to the report card. This is where we give an uh, an up, even, or downgrade yep. to four categories. Front office, coaching, offense, and defense. Offense and defense referring to more of the talent than the coaching side. Front office, um, it's tough for me because I loved <laughs> April, but I, I want to give one up and like one March. down, which normally would, would even out to a neutral, but... It is so important for me in this league to build through the draft. You have to do it. You cannot build an entire team out of free agency. You'll run out of money. You have to draft well if you're going to be competitive. Last two years, they've drafted pretty well. They've built a strong base. They've screwed it up in free agency, which is that piece of you saying, I loved one month and hated the other. It's hard for me not to give them an upgrade because drafting was such an Achilles heel for the previous administration that they replaced and they've done well in the two drafts they've had. I feel like I have to give them an up for that. If they can just figure out the March part of the equation, <laughs> they're going to be a powerhouse. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I, I don't want to cast blame on Ziegler or McDaniels definitively because I don't know who was responsible for the car the thing. conundrum like the yes. way it went down because if they went back they would not have handled it that way and Carr might still be the starter possibly I, I think they truly believed that they were getting top yeah and and we've heard from several people at this point that they believed they were getting top and then they weren't and then they panicked I again I don't know where it started I don't know where it came from that whole Who's plan responsible for this but it yeah. was somebody's fault. It is somebody's <laughs> it fault. Somebody's so fault. We'll give them a, a sort of tepid up arrow. They do need to get the quarterback situation figured out. Free agency in general was okay. The draft has been strong. Normally that would feel like it would even out to a neutral, but I'm I'm gonna give them a little bit extra for the draft because they've fair. Done, they've done well twice in a row. That is gonna build a base that the Raiders really haven't had or didn't have through the previous regime because they wasted so many draft picks. Coaching, we're going to go even, yep. mainly because it's all the same carryover. And yep. uh, we'll see. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this year ends better than last year for them. Uh, offense, uh, I, again, say what you want to say about Carr. He was their best option at quarterback. Yes. And they got nothing for him. And it was a messy breakup. Um, that they did not benefit from whatsoever. Not to mention Darren Waller. Again, say what you want about Waller and his durability issues. He's a dynamic weapon that is no longer there. Uh, they have done well to add to this offense in multiple ways, but 
in the absence of having a true solidified answer at quarterback right now and without Waller there, I we got to go slightly down at least. I'm not saying it's like a full 90 degree down, but we'll go slightly down uh, for offensive personnel. Uh, and then defensive personnel, I would argue that's up. Uh, now, a lot of that hinges on is Tyree Wilson healthy? Um, you know, is Byron Young contributing early like we think he will? But I think the potential of their talent additions here is worthy of an up. What say you? You put me on the spot earlier. I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Jacoby Myers. Yeah. At 11 million. Okay. Or Mac Collins at two and a half. Considering the dollar value, Mac Collins at two and a half. Okay. Take the dollars out. Jacoby Myers or Mac Collins straight up. Different roles though. I'm just saying, if you're you have one wide receiver spot and you get to fill yeah. it with Jacoby Myers or Mac Collins. Because of what Mac gives me in the run game as well. Oh God. Because Jacoby's a better pure receiver. Fuck. Barely. He is. I'll I'll uh, <laughs> I'll go Jacoby, but like I'm not super enthusiastic. I'll ask about you it. again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the money, it's not even close for me. I would have kept, I would have stayed with Matt Collins. I don't feel like Jacoby is a massive upgrade. He is a better pure receiver for sure. But fun question. In terms of offensive talent overall, it is a slight downgrade. There's no Waller. There's no Carr. You don't have a sure answer at quarterback. You kind of fell into Jimmy G as your option, and then that didn't work. Um, say what you'd like about Aiden. We both like him. We both think he has potential for this year, for 2023. He is not a better option than what they had. No. I mean, Derek Carr is going to end up as era-adjusted. Fine. But uh, in terms of raw numbers, he's going to end up as one of the most productive quarterbacks ever. Uh, you don't just assume, yeah. even as much as we love Aiden, that he's he's going to be that. I think he can be. But, you know, we'll believe it when we see it. Yeah, so offense going to give it a small takedown. Defense, eh, boy, they got a lot of fun pieces. They have to make them all work together, but the draft brought them a few more. Um, guys like Divine Diablo that continue to develop from previous drafts and sort of shift roles. I, I'm excited to watch their defense, which is more than I can say for their offense right now. In terms of ceiling and floor for wins and this is an exercise we do for every single team we don't just do a record prediction because you're not going to be right we more do okay what's the absolute ceiling and what's the absolute floor our ceiling is the same we both went with nine and i maybe that seems a little harsh compared to some of the other ceilings we've thrown out there but when you consider again the lack of clarity at quarterback and the unbelievably brutal schedule this team is playing against Nine seems fair to me of, yeah, they're they're not, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Doesn't mean they're going to be bad. They're going to be in the middle of the league. Like my floor for them is seven. That's also a higher floor than a lot of teams uh, that we've talked about. So I think projecting them as like the middest of mid teams is fair. And if their quarterback situation somehow is not horrible maybe i could see an argument for double digit wins but i mean it's not like i'm going to project that now like we 
it's so like I said, it's a mystery wrapped in enigma. Like I, I, I don't really know how to approach this team other than saying they're fine. On vibes alone, I'm going with nine because even if everything works out on offense, Jimmy's foot is fine. He meshes with Jacoby Myers. Everybody gets a little bit further along. Show me, right? I'm Missouri in this case. <laughs> Show me, Josh McDaniels. Show me a Josh McDaniels head coach team that is just gelled and marched. And they haven't. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel at all from the outside. I'll fully admit that we are not in any way inside the loop on this team. From the outside, if you look at a team like Detroit, had a head coaching change a couple of three years ago. How does that team feel about Dan Campbell? That team would run through a wall for Dan Campbell. Vegas Raiders, they had coaching change a couple of years ago. How do they feel about Josh McDaniels? I don't know. I mean, like clearly he, he, he and uh, he and Waller weren't the best of friends. <laughs> he hasn't shown anything yet. And this is very much a prove it league. You still have to hold the locker room. And yeah. if they don't have Jimmy G, and I don't care who starts a quarterback, if they falter and they start getting blown out in the first part of the year, it is completely possible that McDaniels loses this locker room. Because what do they have to stand on? It's not like, hey, remember when times were tough before and we pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps and won the division? They don't don't have any of that. There's no proof. Show me. So my floor is five. Because if that happens, they're going to stumble badly. I don't see it bad enough to be like a midseason firing. But I see it as low mid. Not bad enough to go get Caleb Williams and turn the franchise around. But that really worst place of like, oh, great, you're picking eighth. Because you won five games. Ugh, that doesn't really help. If they're a five to six win team and they have to, I mean, there's very few teams that wouldn't take Caleb at number one. But yeah, let's say one of the teams that already has a top six quarterback ends up with the number one pick somehow. Ish. <laughs> sure. And, and the number one pick is for sale. The amount of capital, even from like, the six pick that they would have to give up to get Caleb would be unheard of. I mean, they'd be looking at moving up to number two, potentially for a guy like Drake may we've got the whole season to go through. We're not putting out 2024 mocks at this point. It would still be really expensive because there's going to be whoever doesn't get one is going to be looking at two, just like them. It's not just a foregone conclusion that they're at five and they can go to two, you know, for what I'd say is market rate, it's going to be maxed. Whatever people will pay for a quarterback and teams that don't have a quarterback in this league, the Raiders right now, will pay whatever it takes to get one because without one, you're not going anywhere. You're starting off the season looking at winning half your games. That's not what you sell tickets with. I think it's more likely that Kyler is their starting quarterback in 2024 than Caleb Williams. Oh, boy. Just in terms of odds. Don't put that on me. <laughs> Just saying. I know. <laughs> Just don't, saying. Don't put that on me. I'm sure some Raiders fans would love to have Kyler as their quarterback. They're staring down the barrel of Jimmy G. 
Yes. <laughs> so, like, that's not Neither one of them's healthy. So, if you're yeah. just going on <laughs> player potential, at hey, this we point, add them together, we get one functional leg. It's, it's totally fine. We're getting loopy. Right. We should get out of here. Yeah. What is it? 11 o'clock at night? Oh, oh my no. God. How is it 11 o'clock? Because that's the way it always is at bootleg after dark. But we hope you enjoyed it. If we have fired you up about the Raiders chances, I don't know how we could have done that. But if we did accidentally, or you just want some new Raiders gear, go check out homage.com. They're our official clothing partner. Links down in the description. If you use that, we get a portion of everything you buy on the site. They have a great NFL license, tons of designs, some of the softest shirts and hoodies you'll ever wear. Love, love, love their stuff. Go check out homage. We'll be back tomorrow uh, talking Chargers, which I have a very vested interest in that episode. Mm. Lots of exciting things going on yeah. in Los Angeles, which you see behind us. And uh, we'll be back in, uh, I don't know, 24 hours or so. <laughs> we'll see you guys then. <laughs>